So hi everyone, welcome back to the second installment of season two's mini-series, calling this one The Driver Spotlight. So if you're new here, first off, welcome. I'm so happy to have you. Maybe you're here after the Formula One season is over and looking to still get your fix of racing. And for clarification, if you are new here, this is a totally brand new mini-series. Last season, In uh, season one, I did what was called the ABCs of F1, and they were little 15-minute episodes where I went through the alphabet and chose a few letters, or excuse me, a few terms under each letter. I would pick kind of an F1 term and break it down into really kind of bite-sized chunks that made them easy to understand and super digestible. And now I went through the whole alphabet last season and didn't want to go over it again. I think I had covered all the terms that I could. So in this season, I'm calling all of my quicker episodes the driver spotlight. And as you can guess, I'm picking a singular driver each episode, giving a brief overview of their record and stats, kind of highlighting what they've done both on and off track. Uh, and, And so maybe this will give you a better, more fuller picture of the drivers you watch, maybe add some useful information, That'll make viewing more fun and maybe give you something new to learn about and study up on if you're an F1 fanatic like me. So today, I am going way back in time. We're going all the way back to the start. I thought since this past weekend, if you're listening to this live, uh, we had the end of the 2021 season. We had a first-time championship winner albeit under very controversial circumstances, uh, regardless of what you think about that ending of who won and who didn't. It certainly was a very chaotic and kind of shocking end to the season. But I want to go back today to not just the start of the 2021 season, but to the very first season of F1 ever in 1950 and talk about the man who won that championship. And he coincidentally as well was only a one-time winner. So that man is Giuseppe Farina. He is sometimes referred to as Nino. I'll probably say both in this episode. And his achievements and story can kind of get overlooked a lot of times in the conversation about F1. Uh, But I wanted to highlight a few of the things that he's done and talk about why he certainly deserves to be highlighted and spoken about in the F1 world. So let's start with his background because that'll give us a bit of a picture of who he was and why he ultimately made it into Formula One. So Farina was Italian. He was born in 1906, which sounds like a crazy year to say out loud. That was a long time ago. And he came from a coach building family. So he was around cars uh, a lot with his family. And so I kind of extended this ultimately to be like he knew cars and by extension he had a bit of knowledge about racing because he was around cars a lot. He saw how they were built, manufactured, the parts that went into them, kind of how the formula of building a car went from the all the parts from scratch to a finished product. And I think that background allowed him to have a an interesting perspective on racing and I think led him into having a great interest in that. So he would spend most of his racing career around the specific makes and models of Alfa Romeo and Maserati. And we'll speak about those in a second. And now he held a lot of positions instead of just racing. It wasn't like 
the guys we see now where they grow up in racing and that's all they do. Farina was a man of many hats. He wore many hats, you could say. He was a cavalry officer because he lived during uh, the time of World War II. He was a soccer player and a skier in those early years before he would actually go to school. He would go on to earn a law degree, a doctorate in political economy from the University of Turin. So he did really grow up with a lot of advantages and privileges, which in all honesty is not a surprising thing. Especially with what we're seeing now, if you kind of think about the picture of who's on the grid currently, this trend of coming from uber-wealthy families is becoming more and more pronounced, I think, than ever before. You can look back at maybe who you would say the veterans or the old guard with Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel not coming from super-wealthy families or super high-class upbringings. The guys that we're seeing now in terms of Nikita Mazepin, Nicholas Latifi, Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, all of them have come from very, very high up positions. Nikita Mazepin's father is essentially part of the oligarchy in Russia. Nicholas Latifi's family uh, has a big Canadian grocery chain investments in a lot of things. Lando Norris's father is like the 500 first wealthiest man in the UK. He does a retired pension fund, I believe. So point being is that the trend uh, at the time of Farina has kind of come full circle and we're seeing it again, I think even to a greater degree now, but Farina himself really did a lot of other things before he came to racing and his very wealthy upbringing allowed him to explore those other arenas and then ultimately come into racing. And so Farina didn't begin his racing career in Formula One. In fact, F1 wasn't even a thing when he started racing cars. It was only one of many series that he participated in over his career. And he had established himself in European series for much of the time before Formula One. He did a lot of racing prior to World War II in the late 1930s. And then after World War II, he came back into racing, continued working a lot with Alfa Romeo in their various kind of races and series that they participated in in the mid-1940s. Later on, he would join Formula One just as the series, the, the brand, the whole deal of Formula One was starting to get off the ground. Now let's jump into some of his statistics. So, like I said, he only won one championship in 1950. On top of that, he had five wins, 20 podiums, five pole positions, and five fastest laps. So as I was finding these numbers, I kind of looked at this and I was like, this doesn't seem like a lot. That's compared to what we're seeing now with Lewis Hamilton crossing 100 wins and nearly snagging eight championships. Farina's stats didn't seem super you know, impressive. But what I had to remind myself is that Formula One seasons were much shorter in the past. They weren't 23 races long. For so many years, the F1 seasons were not super rigorous. And and even Formula One drivers like Jim Clark would go and race in other series at the same time that the F1 season was going on because they wanted to fill up their weekends with more racing. So especially at the inaugural season of Formula One, 
it wasn't busy like we're seeing today. And so he began his career with Alfa Romeo. They would pull out a year later in 1951, and so Farina would move over to Ferrari, where he spent the rest of his career with the Scuderia. And he won the inaugural Grand Prix, the first one ever at Silverstone from pole, and he also took fastest lap. So that was a really, really exciting time. Like I said, the very first Formula One race that counted towards the championship points, and there were reportedly 150,000 people there, so it was very well attended. And he had a lot of great racing over his career in terms of uh, who he was paired with and his teammate. So one of the kind of hallmarks of his career, which I, I will speak about in the next section a little bit more, was him being teammates with Juan Manuel Fangio, who was an Argentine racer who would go on to win not one, not two, but five championship titles. So he is someone I definitely will talk about later in this series, a really exciting, fabulous racer who left his mark on Formula One for sure. And he and Farina thought super highly of each other, even though they didn't always get along on track. Now, Farina's racing style had a lot to do with his personality. Uh, He was kind of seen by many as proud and arrogant. And even as I was reading an article about him on the Formula One website, they called him, they used the term aloof. So apparently his wife hated racing. She never showed up to the track at all. And Farina himself refused to be photographed when he was away from the track. So he didn't like the attention, the paparazzi, the fame, any of that. He didn't appreciate it, which doesn't sound that far off if you know what Sebastian Vettel is like off track. He is notoriously incredibly private. His own uh, wife and kids are pretty much never seen at the track. I think his wife came a few times when he was at Red Bull and maybe once or twice at Ferrari. Uh, But other than that, super secretive, doesn't kind of want people knowing anything about him. And Farina was very similar to this. One of the other things about Farina that was, was almost a trademark is that he hated being overshadowed. And this perhaps went back to his pride and hubris, which acted ultimately as a detriment to his racing. It was something that was very hard for him to get over and push through in competition. Because sometimes that desperation to not be pushed pushed aside in favor of the next rising star led to a few altercations and issues on track that might have been avoided had he kept his emotions in check. So he was both difficult on his cars that he drove and difficult on the rivals that he encountered. He was said to have been super hard on the cars that he drove. He broke transmissions and would kind of get in unnecessary crashes. He would try and jump starts multiple times because he was so anxious to win. So he was kind of an all-over-the-place racer and caused a lot of problems for himself ultimately by his driving style and a a personality. So, you know, that's not all all to say it was all bad because I think all champions have their faults clearly. They all have things they're good at and things that they're bad at. And so Farina had one of the best things about him was his ability to race wheel to wheel, that he was very, very good in tight racing. And he was genuinely a super tough individual, like not, not saying emotionally 
and maybe not mentally judging by his personality, but physically he put himself through a lot and would race through a lot of really difficult conditions because he would win and drive through multiple injuries that he had sustained from other races. He wouldn't take a race weekend off or, or, or spend more time resting. He would get right back in the car and get going. I think he even drove a race, maybe won it even, or got on the podium with a cast on one of his arms. So he was not one to sit on the sidelines. Now, these injuries did cost him. He, because, uh, so in terms of a timeline for racing, Farina reached Formula One when he was in his 40s. So he was not a teenager. He wasn't 18 like Max Verstappen coming in or Sebastian or any of any young age. He was fully matured, a, a middle-aged kind of grown man at that time was not, would not be what you would say as young. So those injuries took a greater toll on somebody of that age than a young person. And that would, they would kind of be part of the reason that he would have to retire when he did. And so after leaving Formula One in uh, 1955, so he only raced for five years, not a long time, but again, remember he was older. He entered the 1956 Indianapolis Grand Prix, or excuse me, Indianapolis 500. And he was all set to go, but after his teammate on the Indy team uh, crashed and was killed during a rainy session, I think it might've been a practice or a qualifying session, Farina just stopped. He didn't come back. He never returned to the series again. He, I think that took such a toll on him that he absolutely never stepped foot in an Indy car ever again, which is a kind of an interesting tidbit of his career that never really, it, it wasn't much. It was just kind of a moment, a blip in time. And now Farina did pass away in 1966, a decade later. He was on his way to actually the French Grand Prix at the time. So when he retired from racing, racing didn't leave his mind or his heart. And he was, he, he was attending this race actually to take part in filming as an advisor and a driving double for an actor in the movie Grand Prix, which if you haven't seen is a fabulous racing movie that I think all, all Formula One fans, all racing fans should see at some time. It's from 1966. It's a bit long. Uh, I think it's almost like three hours, but it features a ton of really good racing footage from all around the world. They go to a bunch of famous tracks like Spa. It's something I would certainly recommend. Uh, it's, it's a really lovely movie. But to return to the discussion of Farina, kind of to close out, the reason why Farina maybe doesn't have as much stick in terms of his name recognition to a guy like Fangio is because a lot of people look at the way that he got his championship and his wins, and they don't really see it as fully down to his talent or his skill. So a large chunk of Farina's success had to do with mechanical or technical issues that Fangio suffered. So after Farina won his championship in 1950, he was really unable to defend it the next year. I think he came fourth. Uh, so not, not anywhere really close to taking the championship a second year. 
1951 year being won by Fangio. So Farina benefited hugely from those mechanical issues that Fangio went through when he claimed his titles. So in saying that, I don't want to take away the prestige or the value put on uh, Farina as a driver and with his experience and success. I think that none of that will take away his his label as the very first Formula One race winner and champion ever. None of that will ever be taken away from him regardless of all the things that had to happen a certain way or the miracles that happened to get him the crown. We certainly have seen how factors outside a driver's control that are not entirely fair can very much swing a championship even to the point of of causing a lot of controversy. (laughs) That's all I'll say. And I'll leave that conversation for another day. But thank you for listening to this episode. That is all I have for today. I'll say goodbye quickly, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will see you again in a few weeks for another episode.